Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. Good morning, church. And, and Liz, I do have Happy Father's Day in here. It's just in the sermon. Happy Father's Day. Uh, what a wonderful day with new mercies uh, from, from the greatest of fathers. Uh, who in kindness has blessed us with his holy word? Uh, the privilege of which we have today to, to sit under uh, its, its authority, its inerrancy, uh, and we get to sit under it together. What a, what a privilege. Uh, it ha- has this week had the effect on me to be a very challenging and, and also comforting word. And so with that, as the text always is, let me invite you even kind of quietly to yourself. It, it, invite the Father to help make your heart receptive. Um, we, we have the propensity to, to be hard towards his word. So just pray for a receptive heart uh, because we know that the Spirit has to do the work. Um, so let's Let's ask him to be with us in our, in our time in his word this morning. So um, before we jump in uh, to the text this morning, I want to do two things. Uh, first, I want to briefly review uh, where we're at in the letter of Galatians. We've been going through it for a long time now. And then secondly, I have like kind of an illustration or some questions, a thought exercise uh, that I think will help us dial into what Paul's doing uh, this morning. So Um, First, let's just kind of review. Uh, In the first four chapters of Galatians, and this is actually a pattern that Paul has a lot, uh, he will tend to start with a doctrine, uh, an idea, something to explain uh, how it works and and the importance of it. And so the first four chapters of Galatians work like this. Paul starts by explaining the rich doctrine of, of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. So it's this doctrine, which is in effect to be made right with God through faith in Jesus's work on the cross, nothing of myself. It's, it's this work that Paul saw as so essential to the truth of the gospel that he would, well, he used that phrase in chapter two, the truth of the gospel. So this doctrine to be saved, to be made right, by the blood of Jesus alone is absolutely crucial. That's what he spends the first four chapters really unpacking. Now, following this doctrine in chapter five, he begins to unpack it. This is what he does in a lot of his letters. Here's, what it, here's the, the, the key truth, and here's what it means for, for life. And so now in chapter five, he kind of turns a corner and he's appealing to the Galatians to live out the implications of justification by faith. What's the implication? Namely, Freedom. Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And when he says freedom, he doesn't strictly mean the, the, the kind of freedom we maybe have in mind as Americans that we've grown accustomed to. It, it is the freedom to serve one another. It is the freedom to follow the Spirit's lead. It is the freedom from having to perform for your worth before God and others. You don't have to perform. Why? Because everything you need to stand before God has been accomplished by the blood of Jesus. You're free. <laughs> amen. We're, we're early on. We got an amen two minutes in. This, this is going to be a good time in his word this morning. It is through faith in Jesus. Uh, and it is through this faith 
and through the receiving of the Holy Spirit that um, what, what happens is we become new creations. Now, Paul's going to use this word in, in chapter six, but I'm, I'm, I, I can't wait to get there. So I'm going to use the phrase new creation a lot today. This is what, when, when we receive the, the spirit, when we put our faith in Christ, we're made new. The old is gone. The new has come. So let me explain kind of the, what Paul's doing here with some questions. So as a youth pastor, I have the privilege of serving a lot of junior hires and a lot of senior hires. Now, let me just ask you a question. Which of these two groups do you think gets really into group games, like more so than the others? Do you think junior hires get more excited or senior hires? All right, junior hires, raise your hand. Okay, senior hires? Okay, yeah. That, so let me explain. From my experience, I might, have, I, I might not have been sure, and, and it doesn't seem like we're sure in this room. But in my time uh, as a youth pastor has taught me that junior hires will strangely and consistently be far more amped up for group games than they would be when they get to senior high. So there's exceptions, of course, you know, but, uh, and there's junior hires that don't like games. But they will like games less when they get to senior high. It's just how it works, okay? So a junior hire loves games. The same junior hire, when they become a senior hire, likes them a little bit less. They would rather talk with their friends, okay? Something happens pretty significantly, and it's consistent. Okay, here's another question. How does, they're all related. How does a young boy tend to tell a girl he likes that he likes her? My experience has been this. Uh, usually by name-calling, hiding, hitting, or running away of some kind. <laughs> okay? You can tell me I'm wrong. I have a son, Jermaine, uh, who's not in the room right now, and I, one of my interns, Ruby, is teaching his Sunday school classroom, and Jermaine likes Ruby, but Ruby doesn't think so because Jermaine would run away and call names, and, and, and we had to assure Ruby, he, he likes you, you know? <laughs> okay. But what happens or should happen when that same little boy grows up and likes a girl? How should he communicate it? <laughs> well, instead of harming her, he has a desire to care for and protect her. This is how it should be. Okay? There's a change that happens. I'll give one more example that's a little less goofy. Um, consider someone who goes into the military before and after right? Uh, there's a change that happens when they come back. That, that change could be uh, it, it manifest in a number of ways. It may be that they have a greater sense of self-discipline. It may be that they have a greater sense of confidence. It may be a loss of innocence due to some things that they've seen. But there have been some profound changes. They're still the same person, but they're not at the same time. They're new, Okay, and similarly, here's what I'm getting at. When someone puts their faith in Jesus, there is a deep and fundamental change that happens in them. That's when justification by faith happens, something deep changes in us. They're still the same person, but they are somehow also very different or new. And just like a young man could never again comprehend throwing a toy at a girl he likes, neither can a new creation ever consider taking joy in the things they used to before they knew Jesus. They have new desires. And that is a key thing that we want to hang on to as we really go through this text uh, this morning. So um, at this point here now, the main idea uh, of that, you know, the pastors, we like to have a main idea. If you walk away with nothing but one, one thing, this is it. It is this, those who are in Christ, the new creation, those who are in Christ 
are to walk by the spirit in newness of life, not in the desires of the flesh. Those who are in Christ are to walk by the spirit in newness of life, not in the desires of the flesh. So with that, let me invite Pat Hoekstra is, is going to read for us. Is, and you have a copy yourself. Okay. And uh, as she's on her way up, let me invite all of you to stand. Uh, we, we, we do this, if you're able to, um, to stand. This is in honor of, of God's, God's holy word. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Life by the Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immortality, immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. Let's pray as we stand. Oh, Father, it's a good word. It's your word, and we thank you for it. Um, we invite you now, as we did earlier, um, make our hearts receptive to, to what you have for us. Comfort us in, in the work of Jesus done on our behalf and challenge us to live into those new desires that you've brought us into. We, we pray that your word would go out and that it would not return to you void. Um, so, so spirit speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks, Hoekstras. Do we turn this off too? Um, I don't know how many of you are note takers, but for me, it's really helpful to see uh, units of thought. Um, there is not like some conspiracy that pastors always have three points, um, but it just happens that it works out that way this time, I promise. Um, there's, there's, I just see different units of thought. This just helps me understand where Paul's going. So um, let me, thank you, Liz, we got that up, that up there. So I'm not telling you exactly what's happening, but here's the, what the idea is. In verses 16 through 18, we're going to tackle first, Paul's explaining what happens when you walk walk by the Spirit. You start walking by the Spirit, something happens. Uh, and, and in verses 19 through 24, we're going to see two lists that give examples or expressions of what it looks like to gratify the flesh or to walk by the Spirit. 
these things are just going to come out if, these, if, if you're walking in, in either of these two ways. And then finally, there is a, the return to the command uh, in, in slightly different phrase, uh, uh, in a slightly different phrase, to command and urge for a new creation to nurture new desires. Okay, so, so he, he, here's what happens when you walk by the Spirit. Here's some examples of it. And, and then here's the command to do it. Um, and so that's kind of the flow of thought. And um, if it helps you to, to take notes and, and jot that down, um, you can. So we can leave that one up there a little bit longer, Liz. Um, but with that, let's, let's just dive in. If you've got Bibles in front of you, it's going to be really helpful. We try to project a lot, um, but we're just going to walk through this verse by verse um, in, in many ways. So we're going to start in verse 16, and, and verse 16 is very, very important. In Sunday school, we identified if we miss verse 16 and we take it out, we're, we're going to have a hard time understanding what Paul's talking about. Um, Pastor Jeff's main idea for his sermon up in Sawyer is, uh, is verse 16. So it's, it's important, but before we get to it, I want to, you know, so you can star it, circle it, underline it, but I want to jump, uh, or I want to pause before we jump into it. I want to pay attention to the three small words that come prior to walk by the Spirit. What's the very first word in, in, in verse 16? Anyone? Participation? I'm a youth pastor. But right? The first word is but. Now, I'm, I'm no grammar scholar, but at the very least, the word but informs me that whatever is about to be said is in contrast, is it op- opposite in some ways of what was just said. What, what's about to be said is contrasting what was just said. And so we got to look back at what was just said. What was it? In verse 15, Paul warned the Galatians against biting and devouring one another right? Do not bite and devour one another. I think Rob called this relational cannibalism. Do not bite and devour each other, church. But, right, that's what he's opposing when he says walk by the Spirit. Why does that matter? I think it matters for this reason. Uh, This is a popular text, and I think we uh, have a tendency to overly individualize the the, the commands in it. Um, So, for instance, the desires of the flesh are merely a personal struggle. Works of the flesh are merely a personal struggle. And the fruit of the Spirit seems to be merely about personal growth. While it is true that the flesh and the Spirit... Um, affect the individual, what I want us to see is that Paul's command to walk by the Spirit is made with relational and communal sins in mind. Because of that, okay, walking by the Spirit is not simply for transforming your personal life, it is for transforming your life with others, specifically those in this room. And so as we talk about walking by the Spirit, let's, let us consider that. This isn't like, am I, am I more loving, generally? This is, am I, am I loving John more? Am I, am I loving Pat more? So, so this is relational that Paul has in mind. So th- there's just a, 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 a transform, there's a component of relationship in walking by the Spirit. So keeping one another in mind, we can get to the command in, in verse 16. That is walk by the Spirit. Now, when I read this, I thought, man, how do I demonstrate or illustrate walking? Why, why does Paul use the word walking? Uh, we had a youth garage sale like three or four weeks ago now. Um, and, and there was a cool stat. My, my watch, I, I haven't had watches in the past, but a friend gave it to me and it's got the pedometer. And it informed me that during garage sale week, I had walked just shy of two marathons in one week. 
That, that was a, a shocking statistic, 51.9 miles or something like that. Wow. I did a lot of things that week, and, and I think, how did I get up to 52 miles? Well, everything I did required walking, okay? And I think there's something of that in what Paul's getting at. The, if, um, if everything you do requires walking, Paul is saying that everything you do should be done by the Spirit. If you're going to do anything, you got to walk to do it. So, so do it by the Spirit. All of life. Orient your entire life this way. And as you do that, here comes the result. Here's what happens. As you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As you walk by the Spirit, you will resist those desires. Why? So that's where he explains the answer. And it's simple in some ways, and it's profound. So uh, in your Bibles, we're moving from six, verse 16 to verse 17. Uh, let's read it. I'm going to have it projected up here. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Okay, so why, why is it that if I walk by the spirit, I won't gratify the flesh? Well, the answers are twofold. Number one, the desires of the flesh, what the flesh wants is fundamentally opposed against the spirit. And what the spirit wants is fundamentally opposed to what the flesh wants. In other words, they are at war within you. Whether you know it or not, they are at war within you, wanting polar opposite things. Namely, they, they want to defeat the other. And, and so, because they are opposed to each other, they will not allow both to be pursued vigorously at the same time. Okay? The, the, the spirit and the flesh are at war within you, and they want the opposite things. And so, if you're walking by the spirit, and you want what the spirit wants— then you will want to oppose the flesh. That's kind of the, the, the idea here. Secondly, the reason you won't gratify the flesh is because even though there is a war going on in you, it's not an even fight per se. Okay, the spirit is superior in strength to the flesh. Yes, there, there is that war, but, but the spirit will win. If we orient our lives build our lives around what the Spirit desires, the Holy Spirit has power to give victory over what the flesh desires. We're going to unpack that. But this is important to grasp. The Spirit really does have power to defeat sin in your life. And do we believe that? Do we believe that? Are we discouraged by persistent sins? but the spirit has power. You know what doesn't have power? And this is tying it to the rest of what Paul's been saying in his letter. What doesn't have power to defeat sin? Keeping the law, circumcision, rules, new habits, as Paul's opponents were saying. And this remains a temptation that we are all prone to. And Paul wants to destroy the idea. It is only by walking according to the spirit that we can come out from under the law. That's verse 18. It's only by walking by the spirit that we can come out from under the law and resist the flesh. Circumcision, cutting off the flesh, cannot kill flesh. It can't. Only the spirit of grace has power to kill flesh, to kill sin and its desires. 
And believers have this power, the power of the Spirit, because they are a new creation, that what we were talking about earlier. They are fundamentally changed. The old self, the, the you, you before you knew Jesus, um, it, it's gone. It's dead. Because God, this is Ezekiel 36, God has put into his people a new heart and a new spirit. He has put his own spirit into their hearts, causing them to walk in his ways, Ezekiel 36. New creations have new power in the spirit to resist the old desires of the flesh or sin. So having been made new brothers and sisters, do not rely on the old powerless methods of fighting sin that you used to before you knew Christ. Don't look to self-pity or self-help books or even more consistent Bible reading or church attendance to deal with your sin. Those things can't deal with sin. They can't kill sin. If you started by the Spirit, if you want to, to kill sin, you need to continue in the Spirit. Now, disclaimer, I think when we are following the Spirit, we're going to want to be in the Word more, and I think we're going to want to be at church more. So don't hear that. It's just, it can't deal with your sin. The Spirit deals with your sin. So if you are in Christ, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the flesh and its desires. So now we're at section two, and, uh, and we now have some lists, some illustrations almost, expressions of walking by the flesh or walking by the Spirit. The first list <clears throat> gives us a flavor. I think flavor is kind of a helpful phrase. It gives us a flavor of the outcomes of gratifying the desires of the flesh. They are called works of the flesh. I think because in essence, this is the working out of the flesh's desires. So this is the work of the flesh. Um, and it's what happens when we, when we gratify, indulge, gorge ourselves with what the flesh wants. Uh, here, it, here it is. Do we have 19 through 21, Liz? Now, <clears throat> the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Um, things like these. And, and I think one pattern in this list seems to be at least that there are some categories of sin. Uh, similar sins are kind of right next to each other. And I think categories are helpful because they help us think more broadly. Uh, the, the, sin, the, the works of the flesh are not just these things. There are things like these. So here are some categories I see. Uh, sexual sins, uh, sins of worship, right? Worshiping the wrong thing in the wrong way, um, like sorcery. Relationships, sins of relationships, and sins of excess or excessiveness, um, and, and so let me just demonstrate, for instance, the category concept. When we see sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, we're not just to think of those three things as works of the flesh, but we're also to think of any sin coming from seeking pleasure outside of God's ordained um, word, right? God, God is not, he's not opposed to pleasure, but to seek pleasure in a way that he has not ordained, that is what's in mind here. So it's not just sexual immorality and impurity. We're also to see um, or think of pornography, homosexuality, polygamy, adultery, and other such things. It, it, seeking pleasure in a way that God has forbidden 
it, it, that's what's in view here. Uh, it's not just these three things. Um, there is a notably large category of sins too. That's a big list, 15, I think, items or uh, works of the flesh. And eight of them have to do with sin towards one another, which at the beginning we talked about walking by the spirit is about one another. So it's interesting that over half this list is about sins that we commit towards one another. And, and, and I'm not, we, each of these deserves your meditation this week. We're just going to observe that there is a cumulative force, all of them together. Wow. Such a large category um, is like a tidal wave identifying and condemning those sins that tend to exalt myself at the expense of the unity of the church or, or my relationships with one another. It's self-exaltation over serving one another through love. So that's sins of relationship. Um, and finally, I want to talk about the category of excessiveness. We see words like drunkenness and orgies. Um, but I think in mind are those sins that take bad things or even good things and they take too much. This includes, you know, money's not a bad thing. Greediness is. Um, you know, um, this, <laughs> I, I think substance, uh, legal substances are bad. But, I mean, addiction and getting high. Uh, screen addiction uh, seems to be something we can, can not put in this category, but the lack of self-control, screen addiction, laziness, and comfort seeking. The roots of all of these things, um, I think, are uh, prominent in our culture. And, and, and the root is self-indulgence, taking more than we, than we ought to have of, of something. And, and, and so maybe that's binge-watching, a show, maybe that's doom scrolling. Doom scrolling. That's like the kids these days. They call that like, you know, your social media or news feed. You just kind of keep scrolling and forever. I think, has anyone ever heard that phrase, doom scrolling? Okay, we got a couple. So now you know, doom scrolling. Getting lost in, in the, 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 the swiping up the news and the, the headlines. Why is Paul highlighting this list here? What's it doing right here? Well, verse 21b, the second half, tells us it's a warning. I warn you, Galatians, I warn you, church, that those who, who, um, who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What, your translation said live, live in these ways, which I think is helpful. Um, but why is it that the church will not inherit the, or not the church, the, that people will not inherit the kingdom of God? It is because they are continually gratifying, indulging those things that the spirit opposes, right? The spirit is waging war against fleshly desires. And if we are gratifying those things, we will not inherit the kingdom of God because we are not walking by the spirit. And if, that, if we are indulging it, it is indicative that we may not have the spirit, which is, whoa, that's like a heavy, heavy hitting verse, Paul. Does that mean that if I do any of these things that um, I'm not going to heaven? While it may seem like that initially, I, I think the verse is not referring to slipping up or, or, or the mistake that you feel terrible about. What's in view here is that in like um, indulging, gorging in the desires of the flesh. This is about walking in the flesh, living out, orienting your entire life, fulfilling the flesh's desires. So think about what happens to a believer if they do any of these things on the list, because we're in this room, fits of anger. Anyone like not been guilty of that? I mean, we've, we've 
we've, we've been guilty of these things. But what happens to the believer if they do these things? They are heartbroken. They are convicted. Why? Because they didn't want to do it. And, and, and they feel bad that they've done it because they want something different. They have new desires. A new creation that's been saved by Jesus has new desires. So, what is it that the new creation desires? What is it that the spirit desires? This is what our next list is about. Verses 22 through 23. So we'll read that. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, Fred was telling me that a couple weeks ago, Mike did a, an exercise where he put these two lists on a board, and, uh, on a whiteboard, and saw how they contrasted. And that should not surprise us, because verse 17 tells us that the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. They want opposite things, and that's what this list is showing us. The, they desire different things. So, for instance, the flesh desires sexual immorality and, 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 give, and, and giving into cravings. What the spirit desires is pure pleasure. That is joy. That's what joy is. It's pure pleasure. The flesh desires fits of anger. The spirit desires patience and kindness, gentleness. Now the flesh desires excessive comforts and screen time while the spirit desires self-control. The flesh desires self-exaltation. The spirit desires serving one another through love. These are the things that the new creation wants. And just as the first list was a flavor, so also this is a flavor. There are other lists in the New Testament that tell us what the Spirit wants. Things like generosity and humility, contentedness. These things also the Spirit desires and loves and causes to grow in a new creation. And the new creation, I think, is what verse 24 is about. 24, if you, want to, if you want to star another verse, 16 and 24 are, are really important. Verse 24, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They are made new because the old self has been killed. And when Christ was, and it happened when? Well, Chapter 2, verse two, uh, 21 tells us, man, the old self was killed when Christ was crucified. We have been crucified with Christ. So his death on the cross equals, for mathematicians out there, his death on the cross equals death of my sin, death to my old self, the fleshly desires. They're dead. And so now the old self and the old desires are no longer in charge. They do not have power over you, believer. That's what, that's what verse 24 is about. They have been replaced by new desires with new power to walk by the Spirit. Now, uh, we get to our final section, the command. And I think the command deserves a lot of our focus because he commands it in so many ways four times. Walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. So we're going we're gonna to look at that. Um, <clears throat> now, it's true that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a precious promise. But yet there is work that remains for us to do. And Paul says it, it is walk by the spirit. God has made us new, but it is our responsibility to walk in newness of life. 
We are to pursue new creation living. And it is possible, as is evident from our verse, that it is a new creation can live in a way that doesn't look like a new creation. We, we can live in, in the old way. We don't have to, though. It is possible to become conceited, to provoke one another, and to envy one another, verse 26, or any of the other things on our, our list. So, what does Paul say? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, how's it go? Relax, hit cruise control, no condemnation. I mean, there is no condemnation, but what he says is keep in step. Keep in step with the Spirit, which is the, the idea of like a military, like uh, getting in line, falling in line. The Spirit's leading, we're following, and we're, we're, we're getting in line with, with what he's doing and where he's going and what he wants. So, which the, the, the question is prompted, and this is how we're going to close out our time. How do we keep in step with the Spirit? And, and, and not only, you know, so I'm, I'm going to say this now, don't only ask how, but ask, do I and will I? There is a responsibility for us here to, to make the Spirit's desires our desires and to pursue that. So how can we keep in step in the Spirit, but do I? And this is, this is where the challenge portion of this text has been like landing on me over and over again this week. So how do you keep in step with the spirit? I've got, a, I've got lists. I like lists. Number one, nurture what the spirit desires. Nurture, care for, help to grow, lean into what the spirit wants. And we already know what the spirit wants because we just read about the fruit of the spirit. This is what he produces in people. So, so nurture, work at, lean into those things. Um, Romans is really helpful here too. Um, Romans 8, 5 has a, a unique phrase to help us understand how to keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, verse 5. Um, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are living according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the spirit. That's a really helpful phrase for me. Set your mind. We know what it is to set our mind on something, right? Anyone ever had a test to study for or a, a deadline for a job at work? Yeah. I'm looking, <laughs> I got a buddy that I talked to who's got deadlines. He's an engineer, uh, beer in over here. So yeah, we, we know what, what do we have to do? It involves exclusive, attentive focus to get that job done. We have to set our minds to it. So set your mind on what the spirit wants. Do it with the diligence you would for a job at work. Set your mind on Christ and set your mind on Christ likeness. Ask for his help. And I I don't say this as like a a passing statement, like pray. That is a, a prayer that the spirit loves to answer. You want to be, you want to be walking by the spirit, ask him to help you. He delights in that. He will answer that prayer. Okay, number two, make war on the desires of the flesh. Participate in battle. Oppose the flesh. Uh, Again, I'm going to lean on Romans 8.13. This is a, a helpful phrase. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. But if by the Spirit... You put to death the deeds of the body. You will live. You'll live. 
In years past, the, this, this task was called mortification. And that's kind of a, a word we don't use. The mortification of sin. What is that? It is putting to death the sin and, and by taking away its power, by taking away its strength, uh, uh, the strength of the remaining indwelling sin of our lives. Paul, Paul here is demanding that the Christian make it their duty to go about rooting out all indwelling sin for all of their life. Okay? So we, we, there is no condemnation, but Paul has a work for us to set about killing, making no provision for the flesh, for any sin in our life. We have a, a, a desire to be like Christ. That's what we want. And so we need to go about rooting anything out that opposes him. That's what we want. So my list has a list. If that's, if that's funny to you, you know, maybe so be it. Um, but my list has a list. How do we mortify the flesh? How do we kill the flesh? And this is, this is where it gets a little more practical, but this is all from scripture. Number one. Um, well, so I read, a, I was reading a book by a, an old guy from the 1600s and he, he says it in a way that's a, a little bit more intense than I am, but I'm going to tell you how he said it. Step one, load your conscience with guilt over sin. That's not like very popular in a therapeutic culture like we have. Load yourself with guilt. That, that was John Owen. Here's how I say it. Feel the weight and the wickedness of your sin. It, you won't kill it if you don't think it's that bad. Feel the weight and the wickedness of your sin because uh, you might think your sin is bad, but here's like, here's news. It is always worse than you think it is. You can think your sin is bad. It's worse than you realize. And until we taste the bitterness of our sin, we will not perceive the trouble we're in and we will not see how sweet Jesus is for saving us from it. So we have to feel the wickedness of our sin. So feel the weight. Let the thought of your sin's wickedness bring sorrow to your heart. Let it bring tears to your eyes because then you are ready to turn and see the sweetness of the Savior. Turn to Christ. But first, feel the weight and the wickedness of your sin. Secondly, um, get captivated by Christ. Get captivated by Christ. Because killing sin without Christ won't work. It won't. That's the law. That's, that's better habits. And, and it, it just the sin rears its ugly head and, and comes back with a vengeance. Only Christ can kill sin and his spirit. So, Galatians tells us a couple times the power of sin has been defeated. How? It's been crucified with Christ. It is the cross of Christ that is the power source for your holiness. So preach the gospel to yourself daily and be captivated by it. Be in awe of it. Let it, let it stir up your affections. And, and if you are, are here and you haven't known quite or tasted what I'm talking about, let me just encourage you, make no delay. The offer that Christ gives is open and available to all. Do not delay. And if you've been straying, receive it again, receive it anew. Let him take your sin and guilt and give him and give you his righteousness and his forgiveness. So get captivated by Christ. Thirdly, um, make no provision for the flesh. This is Romans 13 and, and one of the most helpful for, for me. And, and, and how, do you, how do you kill sin by the spirit? Well, this is helpful. Romans 13 verse 14. <clears throat> well, maybe I should read 
I'm going to go back a little further. I'm going to go to verse 12, which isn't projected, but just hear the resemblances to Galatians. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So what's this? It means not giving sin opportunity. Okay. It's fleeing temptation. So if you experience temptation with a phone, you know, the doom scrolling, there's lots of inappropriate things, lots of ways to indulge the flesh on a phone. If you feel that temptation at 1030 in your bed, how would you make no provision for the flesh? You leave your phone in the kitchen. We, we don't make provision. We don't say, oh, I'll, I'll get over it. We don't even give it a chance. We don't give Satan a foothold. We, we make no provision. We, we flee temptation. Um, if you get angry with your kids when they interrupt your reading, okay, it sounds trite and silly. I'm, I'm prone to fits of anger because I'm trying to read. How do I make no provision for the flesh? Well, I, I don't choose to read when my kids are around and awake, right? I just read later or before they're awake. Sounds silly, but this is making no provision. I, I don't want to be angry. If reading the news breeds a divisive spirit in you, cut it out or, or limit it. Give no provision to the flesh. Watch out for and avoid temptations to sin. Here's another quote. I don't have it highlighted. This again is John Owen from the 1600s. Be killing sin, church, or sin will be killing you. That's just how it is. So make it your duty to root out whatever is not Christ-like. Make it your job, make it your passion and your joy. Fourthly, this comes from Psalm 1. Have the word in you and around you. Blessed is the man, the psalm starts. Blessed is the man who what? Who does not walk in evil, but delights in the law of the Lord, the word of God. He meditates on it. He memorizes it. He takes comfort in it. And what happens? He bears fruit. What a, what, a, what a parallel to our text this morning. He gets the word in him and he bears fruit in his season. God has given us precious promises and remedies against sin if we would plant ourselves in the word. And I just think, and I'm saying this with myself as like, you know, uh, audience number one. I mean, how many minutes of TV do I, am I, am I, how many minutes am I devoting to TV and how many minutes am I devoting to the, to the word of God that is going to help me live like Christ? I mean, there's just, there's just a disparity, isn't there? Or maybe that's the wrong word, an imbalance, at least for, in my life. So have the word in and around you, church. I mean, Walk by the Spirit. Did anyone know who inspired this book, wrote this book? It's the Spirit. This is a Spirit-breathed word. So walking by the Spirit has to involve this. And finally, help one another. Um, we're, we're a church. And uh, it, one of the greatest gifts that God has given believers, um, given you believers, not every believer has a, a church that they can um, embrace in, in some corners of the world, but God has given us one another. And if we would truly love one another, we would desire to see holiness in one another. I want to see you guys walking by the Spirit, and I want you to encourage me to walk by the Spirit. So if you perceive sin, restore one another in love and gentleness. Let's 
Good. How often are we blind to our own sin tendencies? We need, we need each other. Um, to, so I'll, I'll say this in, in closing. Notice one way that um, killing sin isn't mentioned. Better habits. We've mentioned it. Performance. Law keeping. Church, it is by the spirit that you must kill and bear fruit that leads to eternal life. Kill sin and bear fruit that leads to eternal life. So uh, here these clo- in closing these words from uh, the English pastor of the 1800s. His name's J.C. Ryle. Um, yeah. It's in a book that he wrote called Holiness. Here it is. Holiness comes from Christ. It is the result of vital union with him. It is the fruit of being a living branch of the true vine. Go then to Christ and say, Lord, not only save me from the guilt of sin, but send the spirit whom you promised to save me from its power. Make me holy. Teach me to do your will. Amen. Amen. Church, all who belong to Christ are new creations. So walk in newness of life by the spirit and not in the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, free us from the, help us to walk in in your power, not the power of sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We're in Christ. We're slaves to him. And, And his power is accessible to us. Help us to be holy. Help us to to look more and more like Christ. We know Romans tells us that you saved us, that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's our joy. That's our delight. Father, would you you stir our hearts up towards that this week and and every day for the rest of our lives. We want want nothing to do with sin and we want want you. Um, would, Would your word return to you and bear much fruit? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.